Welcome to another episode of the How to Save the World podcast, where we take a deep dive into the academic research and behavioural science of what really gets people to take pro-environmental action and behaviour. I'm your host, Katie Patrick. I'm an environmental engineer and a designer based in Silicon Valley, California, and I'm the author of the book, How to Save the World. And today, I wanted to talk about a significant principle that I don't think many people understand, but when you are coming up with ideas to save the planet, this way of thinking is everything. And it is the difference between coming up with ideas that are copycat ideas where you've copied existing things that exist, or it is developing new ideas from primary principles. Now, that might all sound a bit jargony and not make sense when I first explain it that way. Now, let me dive in to what I mean. Most people come up with ideas that are copies of existing ideas in the world. That can be something like you look at iPhone games and you're like, oh my God, I need to make an iPhone game for the trees or for zero waste or for turtles. Or you'll see big epic PlayStation games and want to design a game like that. People see social media apps like Instagram and think, oh, maybe we could make an app where people share their green things that they do. I started doing this very consciously with my first company that was called Green Pages. I saw Yellow Pages, the directory, and obviously this was like before the internet. Oh my God, when Yellow Pages was a thing, I bet half the people listening don't even know what Yellow Pages is. This big, thick paper directory of all of the businesses and all of the people in your city. So I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to do that for all the environmental companies and call it Green Pages? Not a particularly novel idea. Green Pages directories of green products exist all over the world. And that idea was just a, a copycat of an existing idea. People look at conferences or TV shows or documentaries and think, oh, well, why don't I try to do just the green version or the climate-orientated version of that? This way of coming up with ideas is wrong. You do not want to develop an entire business or a not-for-profit or your life's work based around this. It's almost like a fantasy that coming up with just the slightly different topic version of something that already exists in the world is in itself a novel idea that's going to create change. And there's a reason why a lot of the green versions of existing ideas out there really work. Because just making like a green version of something else isn't addressing the core need in the market or the core primary principles about how humans and societies and technology all works together. The proper way to come up with ideas, new ideas that are really good and really novel and really going to change things is, well, first you want to check yourself to make sure any ideas you're coming up with, you are not generating from this copycat idea model where you saw something and thought, why don't I do the eco-climate version of that? When I'm talking about primary principles, you are considering the core rules of the, the physics of the universe. Primary principles would be the laws of thermodynamics. A primary principle could also be the nature of the dopamine reward system. A primary principle could also be the circadian rhythm of the sun coming up and going down and having nighttime and daytime. They are the core rules of physics and matter that ultimately govern everything we do and are the basis of all of creation. And that might sound really abstract, but let me focus it in 
So this can make sense in a really practical way when it comes down to coming up with great ideas that are really going to change the world. The most primary principle of all is the feedback loop. The feedback loop and the way an organism gets data from their environment, responds to it, and then gets a different signal, that is the core mechanism of how all life evolves and behaves on the planet. There is nothing more primary than the feedback loop. That is, I feel cold, so I'm going to put a sweater on. I'm hungry. I need to eat. It's getting dark. We need to find some shelter. It's too bright. I need to close my eyes. These are the feedback loops that we're getting from our environment. And that is the basis of how every organism, right from the primordial soup to now, functions and evolves and survives and thrives in their environment. It is the cornerstone of all evolution of all creatures on the planet. And so when we bring in the feedback loop as the cornerstone and our entrepreneurial thinking, you are thinking about how are you measuring this one thing that you want to change? If it's waste, how are you measuring the waste? If it's the embodied emissions in manufacture, how are you measuring that? If it's carbon emissions from electricity, how are you measuring that? If it's natural gas, how are you measuring that? How are you getting this data? If you can get it in real time or even every day, sometimes you're lucky to get it every week or every month, and getting it in as much granularity as possible. So instead of getting it like once a year, a year late, which unfortunately is a lot of the time what happens, that you can get it frequently and you can get it in some sort of geographic granularity as well. That you can get it for your house, for your neighborhood, for your suburb, for your city, for your state, and have that nesting of that type of data. And then when you have the data, you can use that data to trigger people, to trigger their response to this data to get them to take some action and create this feedback loop that's signaling, creating a behavior, creating a response, and then sending that signal back to the data. And when you start idea storming and coming up with ideas that branch from this primary concept of the feedback loop, you cannot help but come up with great ideas that fundamentally work, that are fundamentally going to shift those numbers. And the core theory of my book and all of the design work that I do is all based around the augmentation of the primary feedback loop. On the surface, it might look like gamification and fun and behavioral psychology, but everything comes down to pulling the levers on that feedback loop of data. And you cannot go wrong with this as a primary principle. And it's crazy like how much this primary principle of the feedback loop and of measuring what you want to change is missing in so many environmental and climate projects. We all kind of know in a sort of a vague and fuzzy way that everything we do ultimately has to lead to measurable change. But when you get in really surgically and say, how are you measuring it? How are you showing this data to everybody around you? How are you using this data to signal people to change? A lot of the times, Folks just don't have a good answer for that, and their eyes are not necessarily really sharply on the data and how to use those feedback loops to signal a response. Second primary principle is trust between two people. Don't just look at Netflix and think, oh, wouldn't a Netflix documentary about blah, blah, blah be good? That's the copycat idea. Go to primary principles. The way that human civilizations function and family and human relationships is that we develop trust between each other. We have a reputation of trust that you can rely on people. It's embedded in the way we are able to function because we can have a sense of trust that everybody's going to do 
what they said they were going to do. And the way you can leverage this is by using pledges, which is getting people to write down what their promise is or their commitment. It could be promising to a seven-day challenge to give up plastic for seven days or to write something down and take a photo of it, like a selfie, and post it on Instagram and gather these pledges from people that are committing to do something. That really, really works to get people to stick to a particular behavior and move out of the value action gap, which is we're just learning about the environment and caring but not actually doing anything. You're really getting people to act because they're making that promise and that pledge. And that is because the primary principle of getting people to make a trust promise between each other. The third one is groups. People work together in groups with a group identity and they copy each other. They imitate each other. People intensely want to create strong social bonds within groups. So they're needed and they're wanted and you've got that social capital and that social connection with everybody. So anything that you can do that works on group identity, comparing people in a group, getting people to come together into groups. This is why we have so many festivals and conferences and Zoom groups and Mighty Network communities, because people really do love to come together in groups. So take that primary principle that is core to human survival and figure out how you can use and really deeply understand the group dynamic and then come up with an idea that's based on that. Fourth one is social status. People crave and need to increase their social status within the group. And we often think of social status as like money and cars, but there is also a sense of moral social status of like how fickle you are and how green you are. And there's a certain social status to being a good person and being useful, how loving, how kind, how generous you are. So giving people the opportunity to do good things, to increase their social status through emotional mechanisms and even material mechanisms, and even ways of socially signaling. In kind of a negative context, it's called virtue signaling, but just think of that deep need that people have to signal to everybody else that they're doing something that is good for the planet, that is virtuous, something that can increase their sense of social hierarchy. Try to hack that mechanism and come up with your idea from that. The fifth one is the dopamine reward system and this big sounding term called reward prediction error. That is what casinos do. We have this mechanism in our brain and it's that when we don't know when the reward will come, like pulling the slot machine or rolling the dice, there's a sense of intense anxiety and anticipation of whether we'll win the prize or whether we'll won't. And this mechanism just builds and builds and builds our dopamine, our craving to get the result. And then when we do get the result, boom, there's this huge, massive excitement. And this reward prediction error intensely addicts us to the process. But whether you're using the casino model or not, you still primarily want to be understanding that dopamine provides motivation for us to work towards a goal and then achieve that goal. So how are you activating people's goal-seeking mechanism, tracking their progress towards that goal, and then giving them that sense of reward, which could be like a high five or just awesome, you finished this challenge. It doesn't need to be a material reward, often finishing a goal, completing something complex, moving up a level or even doing better than other people is the reward in itself. A seventh primary principle that humans really care about is something called utility. Utility is just the value that we extract from something, like how much utility am I getting from this chair right now? And that's connected to our, another economic term called our willingness to pay. If you get a lot of utility out of something, you'll have a higher willingness to pay for it, which will dictate its market price. 
But what I find really interesting about the concept of utility in the context of sustainability is our deep intrinsic need that we have to not waste things. That idea of like, oh, I don't want to throw it away because I just don't want to waste it. And my hunch is what I believe is that this sense of utility and not wanting to waste things is a deeply intrinsic drive, a survival drive. And when you can hack into that survival drive of not wanting to waste things, you can connect that to pro-environmental behavior, especially when it comes to zero waste and not throwing things away. I think our capacity to just throw out a whole lot of trash and a whole lot of good value things, and even just food scraps into the trash rather than putting them back into the soil. I think we've trained ourselves out of this natural sense of utility. The natural way is to see glass jar as valuable. I still feel that now. I feel really bad throwing out glass jars because you think, wow, this whole thing was made. It's so hard and clear and useful. It's a sense that there is an embedded usefulness in something and you're going to be losing something if you throw that away. So come up with ideas that are going to hack into that sense of utility, of not wanting to waste, of not wanting to give away something that we already have possession of. A seventh primary principle stems from this thing called self-determination theory, which says that all humans fundamentally need a sense of freedom, a sense of mastery and a sense of social connection with everything that we do. And it kind of seems to stack up from what I can gather. So that sense of freedom, of that you just have some sort of agency over your own environment to do what you think is right. We're not robots. We don't work well when every single inch of our lives is dictated to by somebody else. So when you think about that, individual person's need to have some kind of agency over their environment, some sort of freedom, how could you tap into that sense and come up with an idea that's going to enhance that for people and it's going to connect to your climate or sustainability mission? And another primary thing that drives humans is the pursuit of meaning and purpose. You may be familiar with Viktor Frankl's famous book, Man's Search for Meaning. It's a profound and insightful A book even makes it sound too simple, but almost like huge breakthrough or turning point in human consciousness was his diving into the pursuit of meaning. And he is responsible for this famous quote, which is, it's more than a quote. I think it's more of a psychological breakthrough, which is when everybody takes everything away from you, the only freedom that you have left is the power in how you respond. He was a victim in a Nazi concentration camp, and he had everything taken from him, all freedoms, his family were murdered. And in this time of extreme suffering, he was able to live in this existence that he had this one ultimate power, which is the way he chose to psychologically and spiritually respond to this extremely dark and violent and abusive chapter in his life. And he noticed in the other prisoners in the camp that it was the ones who could attach some sense of meaning to their plight in there that were able to stay alive and make it through these torturous events. And he writes in the book about how he could notice when other people in his was it room or prison, when they lost that meaning, when they lost that hope. And he would notice in their posture, in their expressions, in their speech, that they had just internally, they had just lost the will 
And he said that they would die within days or weeks of having that psychological, emotional, spiritual collapse. And there are many philosophers and psychologists which talk about meaning and purpose being the absolute fundamental core human need that drives everything we do. It's really easy with environmental and climate work to distill it all into simple behaviours and how do we just make it cheaper? How do we make it cheaper? How do we make it economically viable? How do we make it easy? And I personally don't like to have these conversations because I don't think that really taps into what this whole movement is about. Our movement is about a much bigger quest of fully integrating modern technology and modern humanity with amazing, beautiful biosphere that we exist on. But humanity is not destroying nature to grow itself, but we have developed all of our technology and our intelligence to work in this beautiful, interwoven enmeshment with nature, not at the expense of it. And we need to live that type of environmental mindfulness in all of our actions. Now, that doesn't mean that it needs to always be really inconvenient and really expensive. Of course, we want it to be more convenient and and cheaper to live green, but it also really takes this big leap of consciousness, this big connection to the meaning and the purpose behind why we live in an environmentally conscious way. And if we're only just trying to get subsidies for things and make something cheaper or make it illegal or just talking about doom, 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 it's all so bad, we're kind of missing the bigger picture, the true power of what is the story behind meaning and the purpose behind why we do all of this. And if you've listened to my other episode where I talk about the journaling exercise of the four things, it starts with what is the big why? Get in touch with your big why over and over again. Get connected to that meaning. I'm not entirely sure how you jump from really getting in touch with meaning and purpose to that practically coming out into an idea, but I bet if you focus on the true meaning and purpose and you just start idea mapping and idea storming from that place, that's where you'll come up with really great ideas. A ninth primary principle you can look into is another one that's included within self-determination theory, which is social connection. This is why all of the social media businesses, the biggest unicorn companies over the last decade, because humans intensely, deeply crave and need for our survival, human connection. We are only as strong or only as weak as the strength of our social bonds. Our physical health, our emotional health is directly and immediately affected, almost like a, like a tube or a wire connecting us to the emotional and psychological and physical health of those people around us. So anything that you can do to encourage social connection, to encourage depth in the connection, bring groups of people together, make those groups mesh together and bond together even more, and making games or activities for those groups and even getting the groups to play with other groups or compete with other groups like they do in sport. That is a primary principle of how humans operate. And the 10th one I added as a primary principle is beauty. This might sound like a little bit of a weird thing to include, but I know for me personally and for lots of people, our connection to a physical environment that is beautiful is deeply necessary for us at the most profound, deep spiritual core of us, there is no other reality if the physical world around us is not a beautiful place. And we all have this within us to varying degrees. I'm not sure if there's people out there that are completely disconnected, that have absolutely zero sense of aesthetic value or wonder or need. But most people want to be in a beautiful environment, either a house, 
a forest and urban environments. It just looks and feels really nice. And so tapping into that core need that we have to be in a visually, aesthetically beautiful environment and to create work that is also beautiful, that we get to work every day and make more beautiful things and share those beautiful things with people around us, this is a core primary principle of how humans operate. You can also extend this into physical beauty, making sure that you're healthy and you look great and you love your clothes and your entire environment is in harmony and everything looks and feels natural and organic and wonderful and beautiful and integrated with nature. Just look at the enormous movement there is in homes and gardens and in cosmetics and in women trying to look better. I mean, our sense of our aesthetic needs is real. If you're a more aesthetically orientated person or you come from a design or an art background, really drive that sense of aesthetic harmony and mind map your ideas out from there. And of course, with every idea you do, make sure it connects to an action. If you want to learn my behavior mapping process that I use to come up with ideas, you can sign up to my behavior mapping bootcamp through my Gamify the Planet Masterclass. You join on Patreon. It's only $25 a month. It's at patreon.com forward slash Katie Patrick. And there's a link in the show notes. And you'll be able to watch the videos and download my poster and my cards where I go through 100 different behavioral psychology and gamification and UI, UX techniques in a very specific order to comb out the best idea for a particular cause. This process is just magic and it's only getting better for me the more that I do it. I hope this episode today was helpful, helping you distinguish between copycat ideas and primary principle ideas. It's a bit of a unusual, pretty kind of heady meta topic to get your head around for the first time. But once you get the hang of it, you'll start seeing it everywhere. You'll be able to differentiate between what idea is just copying a whole bunch of stuff that's out there in the world and what idea has come from deeply, thoughtfully understanding the human organism and figuring out how you can come with, with an idea that taps into that system. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest in environmental psychology, gamification and behavior design. If you loved this episode, please send me a screen grab, share it on stories on Instagram. I'm at katiepatrickhello. You can always send me a DM on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram also. And if you haven't already, sign up to my website at katiepatrick.com. I have a whole bunch of high quality videos there teaching measurement driven behavior design. There's really nothing else like it out there to teach this type of really granular and surgical type of, what do we call it, climate action design. Thank you for listening. I hope this was helpful and I'll see you next week.